0: Hey everybody it's david creek I want to thank you for listening to the westchester church podcast we're coming to you from the philadelphia area and you can check out our website at westchestercfc.com cfc.com westchester cfc.com got a sweat rag this morning might be in for quite a message i don't know Mark chapter 9 will be our text this morning. Mark chapter 9. Today I want to preach on the God who is able. Mark chapter 9 and verse 17. And someone from the crowd answered Jesus. Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. Well, Jesus had just been transfigured on the mountain before Peter, James, and John, before Moses and Elijah. What that means, long story short, is that there has been glory that Jesus has had that has been hidden in plain sight, and now it's being seen by mortal eyes. And what is waiting for them at the bottom of this mountaintop experience is what always awaits us at the bottom of our mountaintop experiences. And that is darkness, desperation, despair, and disarray. As Jesus comes down from the mountain, there is a restless father who is running on empty who approaches him. And he's running on empty from a situation that has him feeling utterly helpless. As he says to Jesus, he has a son, his only son. He has this malicious spirit that is tormenting him. As he has said in the text, it has rendered him mute and epileptic. It's likely that he is just about my age and Brandon's age. It's something that he's had his whole entire life. So for this guy's whole existence, the spiritual forces of darkness have been going on a joyride in his mind and in his body. This thing is absolutely destroying him. I think it's Luke Luke's account that says that it is shattering him where he grinds his teeth, where it's thrown him into water and And Sapphire's trying to murder him. So this father as well as his son feels as if this this is beginning to feel pretty hopeless right now. There's nobody who can help my son. So maybe I'm beginning to think that this is impossible. He feels just like my grandparents felt when they gave birth to this beautiful child beautiful baby boy but they learned that their son was 100% deaf and my uncle has spent his entire existence 60 years of his life living in this mute world where the birds do not make any noise where the rain is completely silent as it falls He doesn't know what music sounds like well he went off to the prestigious deaf school in Washington DC Gallaudet but he hit the wall for some reason I don't know what I still don't know what happened he leaves Gallaudet he goes all the way back to Arizona moves back in with my grandparents went inside that room in 1986 and did not come out of it for 35 years I mean, this guy has spent his entire lifetime feeling helpless. The way this father feels is how a young father once felt. When his three-year-old son began having ear infections, the doctors didn't know what was going on, and they were giving them the runaround. The longer that the, the doctors waited, the longer his speech development had been prolonged. And his speech delays got worse and worse and worse, and it continued well into his 30s. Where any time that he would try to speak to another person and try to have an encouraging word for them to hear, he would begin to grind his teeth to convulse and to twitch himself until he was rendered mute. At night, this young father would cry because he loved his son, but he felt so utterly helpless. Watching his son growing up traumatized by bullies, traumatized by laughter, and so he tried to take his own life at the age of 30. For the father, as well as the son, for a very long time, Yeah, my dad and I felt very helpless. The way that this father feels is how so many of you have felt. So many of you feel right now as we sit here this morning. Families who go from one soul-sucking ordeal after another. People who constantly take three steps back only to take 12 and 13 and 14 more steps backwards. People who feel as if they are stuck in this prison that they are never busting loose from. And yet imagine how this father feels, though. Imagine the happiness that was welling up in his heart. As he begins hearing all of this chatter in town, Jesus of Nazareth is here in our city. I mean, people don't know what to do with themselves. They're so ecstatic. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. What he hears in the streets is the blind are receiving sight, the lame are walking, the leper is cleansed, the deaf are able to hear. He even commands the evil spirits to depart, and they obey him at his command. His ears tingle in the city squares. The only thought on his mind is I've got to get him to my son. If if anybody, if anybody can help my son, it is this Jesus of Nazareth. So he takes his son and he goes to where Jesus was reported to have been. But Jesus isn't here right now. I'm sorry, but you know, he's gone up there on the mountain. He's he's somewhere way up there, and he he's away right now. But but hey, listen, we are his disciples. I mean we've been following Jesus around for for years now sitting at his feet constantly Jesus has given us authority to cast out malicious spirits and to heal sicknesses I mean this is an age in which the disciple was one who reflected the one who had taught them so for this hopeless father he's beginning to feel less helpless now well, Jesus isn't here. I really wanted to see him. But hey, if anybody, but you know, his his followers are here at least. So if anybody can help my son, if anybody can help my son, it's got to be these guys who are his his apprentices. I mean, my son is in in the very best of hands right now. This is a good day. And yet in the latter part of verse 18, though, we see him ask Jesus' disciples to cast this spirit out of his son. But what does it say in the latter part of verse 18? But they were not able to do it. Among the very first things that they learn about Jesus is that the followers of Jesus failed. They mean well and that they're very sincere and that they try very hard, but they talk a big game, but they come up short. I mean, disciple after disciple after disciple is, is walking up to this boy. Bartholomew walks up to him, come out of him, you unclean spirit. And then Thomas approaches him and says, leave him, get out of him, leave him alone, Go. Another disciple walks up and says, I command you, leave him. But nothing happens. I mean, they try to drive this malicious entity out, and so they're blue in their faces, but absolutely nothing happens. And, you know, these are the scenarios that the critics of Christ revel in, you know. As it says in verse 14, as Jesus comes down, there's this huge crowd at the mountain, this you know loud commotion. As the disciples of Jesus are unable to drive the demon out, there's a group of scribes who begin circling like sharks. You can almost hear them saying to these people, you see everybody, you see this Jesus and his followers are just a bunch of charlatans going around deceiving people. Do not put your trust in these guys. just as many people look at the long and the sad history of Christians and in churches, who throughout time and history have been among the most loudest, most ardent supporters of genocide, of white supremacy, of homophobia and demonization of outsiders, people who burn crosses on, on people's yards, stolen land and buried bodies, dropping nuclear bombs on multiple cities full of innocent civilians. And then we have the audacity to call ourselves this Christian nation, a city that has been on a hill in front of all the other nations of the world. And the outside world looks at that and says, if that's who Jesus is, he can have no part of my life. I think about all the times that I have had golden opportunities to, to show broken, hurting people what Jesus is like. Only to forget who I was. And to send those people walking away from me thinking, if that's who Jesus is, I don't need him. And you know, sometimes we are like that builder who sets off to build this great, lavish tower, but is not able to complete it because he didn't think it through long enough. Can you imagine how this father feels right now? How a son feels, right? How the disciples feel in this moment. Again, followers are supposed to reflect the one who taught them. So what kind of teacher are they making Jesus looking like? I think this is why Jesus sighs and he says, oh, faithless generation, how much longer do I need to put up with you people? Because as Jesus walks down from the mountain and in this moment in time in the shoes of this man and his son, it doesn't look like God is in control, does it? You take one look at the sun and it looks like Satan is in control. Satan is destroying his life. And yet as Jesus walks walks over to him, though what they learn is that this, you know, this was the day that this man and his son learned that even though his followers fail, that even though his well-meaning his believers come up short sometimes, Jesus is the God who is able. Jesus is the God who is able. Because while all of this darkness is enveloping him, Jesus shows up. Jesus walks into his darkness. And notice in verse 15 that before Jesus has said so much as a word, he is already amazing everybody who's looking at him. Verse 15, it says, immediately all the crowd when they saw Jesus were greatly amazed and they ran up to him and they greeted him. want to remind myself and remind you that Jesus was just transfigured up on the holy mountain meaning that his clothes were were more radiant than any bleach could make them and another face was shining brighter than the sun but it doesn't end on the mountain because the word for amazement here means to be awestruck out of one's senses To leave someone in such a state of amazement that they're terrified by what they're looking at, but they just can't look away from it. You see, what this means is that Jesus' face is still glowing. Jesus is still transfigured, even as he comes down from the holy mountain. And so we see that the transfiguration comes from the mountaintops into the mud. And... (laughs) It's, it's, it's a funny thing in verse 16, because Jesus, he asks the scribes a question. The scribes are always yapping about something, right? But as the scribes take one look at Jesus, they are the ones who now have been struck mute because they don't even know what to say. They, they have no words. And it's then when this father bows before Jesus, everything within him, he says, Lord Jesus Christ, please have mercy on my son and help him. Please help my son. And Jesus says, bring him to me. Talk about sweat rags. You get ready, get something that's about to happen. When Jesus says, bring him to me. Verse 20, it says, and, and they brought the boy to Jesus. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? Father hangs his head and says, from childhood. He explains how it's thrown him into fires, trying to kill him in water. But I love what he says, though. He says, but if you can't do anything... Have compassion on us and help us. Verse 23, Jesus said to him, what did you just say to me? That's, you know, the modern day translation. Because Jesus says, if you can. It's like, do you you have any idea who you're talking to? You're not talking to David Creed. You're not talking to all of these apostles who tried and tried, Bless their hearts. They tried, but they showed that they still have a long way to go. You're talking to the God who created the earth. And so he says, if you can, what are you talking about? If you can, all things are possible to the one who believes. You know, if it's a very funny word to Jesus. Again, he says, if you can, what do you? You know, as I read these words, what what I am aware of is that preachers fail, elders fail, deacons fail, Christians fail, churches fail, you fail, I fail. Yet our God, though, on the other hand, he is the God who is able. And the God who is able just so happens to be the God who also cares, in the Gospels, we read about yet another woman who was helpless and hopeless. For like 12 years, she has a discharge of blood, and we all know what that means. We're all adults. She spent every, you know, all of her money going from doctor to doctor, from physician to physician, but it only got worse. And now she doesn't have money you know, in addition to that. She sees Jesus, but... It appears that she feels guilt about it. No, I, I can't bother Jesus with this. Somebody said that he's on his way to go help a girl who's dying right now. Girl is dying. I, I can't bother him with my never-ending period. Yet yeah, no, she's like, no, I, you know what? This Jesus is so powerful that even if, you know, I don't even have to speak to him. If I, I just go up to him and tug on the hem of his garment he's that powerful to make me well and so she does and it leaves her but jesus doesn't just you know he's not just able to heal her but jesus stops everything that he's doing even as a little girl literally dies because he doesn't get to the house in time jesus says no her pain matters too he gives her the floor in front of everybody and Calls her my daughter. Isn't that beautiful? This is a person who does not feel very loved. Daughter, your faith has made you well. And then he sends her off into the rest of her life saying, Go in peace. Because Satan is no longer going to dominate your life. You see, doctors fail every single day. And yet the great physician and the soul doctor is the one who is able to save and to transform the human soul, regardless of what happens to our bodies in the end. The understudies of Jesus tried and tried and tried, but they could not help this this guy. And so eventually in the text, it leaves the father to cry out to Jesus, Lord, I do believe, but help my unbelief. What I think he's saying is, Jesus, I believe, but I confess to you that I don't believe in you as much as I could. And so help me to have a trust and help me to have a faith in you that has no ifs, and that has no buts. And so now in verse 25, Jesus steps up to the plains. It's the bottom of the ninth and they're down three. And they are facing the most intimidating, imposing picture um, pitcher, whoever threw a ball. Every eye is on Jesus, you know. Verse 25, it says that, And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. I just want to stop right here and acknowledge this. I mean, we do understand, right, that if Jesus whiffs here, that's the end of Christianity. If Jesus tries and tries and tries until he's blue in the face and and the spirit in this boy is still there and he's still being thrown to the ground and being thrown into rivers, then we may as well just pack up and go home and never come back. That's not who my Jesus is. How about yours? This is the God who is able. We're in verse 26, it says, And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, the malicious spirit came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, He's dead, he's dead. But, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And so we see that as this man and his son draw near to God, God is drawing near to them than they ever could have dreamed. We see Satan and we see all of this malicious darkness fleeing from the light of the power of Jesus Christ. What Jesus is announcing to this boy, to his father, and to everybody who witnessed it was Satan is not going to be destroying you any longer. That's because he is the God who is able. And you know, when we entrust ourselves to this God who is able, we are then in the process enabled. We're given the ability to resist temptation. We are able to resist temptation. We are. We are able to have the power to forgive a person who has done the inexcusable to us. He gives us strength to keep showing up and to keep getting up, no matter how hard we cried ourselves to sleep the night before. As the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and Ephesians, he says, now to him who is able, he is able to do far more exceedingly abundantly anything beyond anything that we could ever ask or imagine, but he's not just able, but he enables us, as it then says, according to the power that is at work within us. And I'm reminded of a time when Jesus was speaking about us, about all of those who would believe in him. And he says in John 10, that, that my sheep hear my voice, and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. But then Jesus says, and no one, no one will be able to snatch them from out of my hand. Not even cancer or COVID, although it certainly can destroy our bodies, perhaps. Our past cannot snatch us out of the hands of God even though it inflicts traumatic scars not even the world or the devil himself can snatch us out of the father's hand even though it is through many tribulations that we enter into the kingdom of god you know none of us are immune from the attacks and the insidious darkness that they make upon our lives but no matter what we are up against in our lives this morning God is assuring us, you don't have to be destroyed by Satan any longer. Because Jesus changes everything when he enters into our lives. So finally, at the end of the text, in verse 28, the uh, the, um, the disciples asked Jesus, hey, how did you do that? How were you, I mean, we tried to do it, but we couldn't do it. I mean, what what is your secret? Jesus says in verse 29 that this, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. See, they didn't pray. They got caught up in the heat of a moment just as I do all the time. And They forgot to pray. You see, when we take our darkness to Jesus and we let him fight for us as we keep silence, this is where we stop trying to do it all ourselves and being poor in spirit, we cry out to Jesus, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I close with the story this morning. Many years ago, there was a 16-year-old girl who went to an area-wide service that was led by um, students and teenagers. Now, this girl was not raised in the church. In fact, the first time that she was brought to a worship service by her parents, she hated it. She couldn't get to those doors quick enough. I mean, she didn't know 1 Corinthians from Huckleberry Finn. Didn't want to be there. But for whatever reason, when she received this invitation to go to the service, she said, I guess I'll go. And during the service, there was one song that they sang that changed your life forever. It's in our our um, worship books, number 213. As they sing the words to this song, and as she's listening to these words, I mean, this is a girl who felt ostracized, who was bullied. She was one of those kids who just felt helpless. She was going through a season in her life where the most important people in her life had died, many of them at least. She just wasn't sure if there was anything else to this life than burying people she loved and not being good enough for other people. And yet as they sang these words, she knew that if she could just hope in this Jesus, it all began to make sense to her. That I've got to entrust, you know, if I entrust myself to the person that these people are singing about. Then this really will happen in my life. And it did. And that girl's name was Amanda Smith. My future wife. A missionary on three continents. The words that changed her life, song number two two hundred and thirteen. What she heard. He is able, more than able, to accomplish what concerns me today. He is able. More than able To handle anything that comes my way He is able More than able To do much more than I could ever dream he is able, more than able, to make me what He wants me to be. Whatever has you feeling helpless this morning, whatever has me feeling weary this morning, Bring our desperation. And let's bring our darkness to the God who is able to save us. To the God who is able to deliver us. To the God who is able to rescue us. and To the God who is able to do more in our lives than we could ever possibly dream. Let us take all of our needs and concerns to the God who is so able to turn our sorrow into dancing. That even all of the volumes and the libraries and the encyclopedias of this earth could not possibly contain the chronicles and the wonders that he performed that he was able to do in just three years, let alone throughout all of eternity. So whatever our need is this morning, please make it known to the God who is able as we stand, as we sit